Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Frank Vogel deserves better. Frank Vogel deserves a hell of a lot better than he's getting right now. Fact. Let me say it a little bit louder for the people in the very back. Frank Vogel, sure as all hell, should not be on the hot seat. Frank Vogel has been jammed hard by the Lakers repeatedly. They have been jamming this guy since the very day they hired this guy back in 2019. They made it clear when they hired him that they weren't exactly fired up about him because they only gave him a three-year contract. So in his first season, a season marked by a preseason controversy, the shocking death of franchise legend Kobe Bryant, the COVID pause, and then the bubble. In that season, with all of those things, and he was the guy they didn't want, he leads them to an NBA championship. Remember that old rule of thumb that if you bring two superstars together, they need at least a season before they can really compete for a title. Well, he broke that rule, and he did so in a year where there was a pandemic. And he did it in a situation where everybody was expecting him to be set up, to be fired, and replaced with an assistant. We all remember that. But then after that title, did they kind of admit, yeah, you know, we got that wrong. After the title, did they give him an immediate extension and take care of him? No. Then he comes back in year two after a comically short offseason, and he's got the Lakers right at the top of the Western Conference despite numerous injuries, and they even had a 2-1 series lead, and they were leading game four in their matchup in the postseason before Anthony Davis got hurt. And then Frank's reward for all of that, a contract extension that reportedly was one year. Yeah, thanks for doing one of the best coaching jobs in organization history. Here's a couple of more weeks tacked on to the end of your contract. Then before year three, the entire roster gets flipped this past offseason. The organization takes this big swing and they bring in Russell Westbrook and a bunch of other guys from the 2012 All-Star Game. We're talking about a who's who of the NBA, but from a decade ago. A roster that initially included LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, Marcus Gasol. Six dudes from the 2012 All-Star Game. And there was more. There was Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, DeAndre Jordan, Kendrick Nunn. And then they shoved that box of misfit pieces in Vogel's face and said, hey, yo, make that work. Oh, and LeBron's been hurt. And, of course, Anthony Davis has been hurt. And they had a COVID outbreak. And Russ has been a complete disaster who alternates between crazy turnovers and horrible shooting. Things have gotten so bad they've had LeBron at the five for the first time in his career at age 37. And yet somehow, some way, you're going to pin this on Frank Vogel. Somehow, some way, this dude is on the verge of getting kicked to the curb, reportedly any second now. I mean, get the hell out of here with that. I, I mean, I believe the speculation. I know that's true. I believe this guy could be fired any second. But it's bullcrap. It's garbage. garbage. It's complete 100% garbage. Garbage. The Athletic. 
had the story yesterday, and the story was that Vogel was on the hot seat and that he was, quote, being evaluated on a game-to-game basis and remains at risk of being fired soon if the progress doesn't continue, end of quote. Again, the hell is that? Not only that, but he was nearly fired after the loss to Denver and is now, quote, coaching for his job. Again, the hell is that? You completely turn over the roster. You give him completely different pieces that don't fit at all. You have this guy work without LeBron for a period of time. Of course, without AD for a period of time. And then you expect better than 500? (laughs) On what planet? Seriously, what year are you in? It's 2022. It's not 2012. You can't just roll mellow Russ and Dwight out there and expect wins. That's not how that works. That's not how anything works. And yes, that 37-point loss to Denver was a disaster. So were the losses to the Kings and the Grizz before that. But to put that on Vogel and to say that Vogel is the problem here and that getting rid of this guy is going to make things better, I mean, that's a ridiculous take. Totally ridiculous, Rome. I mean, why not just hire Ricky from Tampa? Get the hell out of here with that, too. And yes, I am aware that they're 22 and 22, but don't stick that on Vogel. In fact, he's actually 21 and 17 as the head coach this year. The team went 1 and 5 with David Fisdale as acting head coach. Take that for data. And then, good one, Albie. And then when Vogel comes back, they win four straight. So that should tell you something about how much better things will be if they break this guy off. Newsflash, it won't be better because, again, this bullcrap is not his fault. And then after that piece in The Athletic dropped, the LA Times followed that up with a piece of their own. Quote, people with knowledge of the situation insist there are no current plans to replace Vogel. End of quote. Eh. If that was supposed to be comforting or reassuring, it's not. If anything, it only confirms the report that came right before it. There are no current plans to replace Vogel sounds to me exactly like he's, quote, coaching day-to-day. Tell me the difference between that and there are no current plans to replace Vogel. You can't, because there is no difference. Listen, I get that it's a tough gig, just as I get that coaches are hired to be fired. But the Lakers are doing Frank Vogel dirty. They've done it from day one. The whole rap was that this team was built for the postseason. Well, if it was built for the postseason, what are you doing thinking about firing your championship head coach halfway through the regular season? How does that make sense? And part of your complaint is, yeah, well, the team doesn't play defense. The defense hasn't been where it should be under Vogel. Also, are you kidding me with that? Did you see the guys he was given? Did you see the guys you brought in? Not exactly Dennis Rodman and Gary Payton. Carmelo Anthony, in his prime, was not exactly a stopper. And he's not in his prime. Yet they've got him playing 27 minutes per night. I'm not saying that Frank Vogel is perfect. Or has been perfect. And yes, he did stick with DeAndre Jordan for far too long. But the core of the team that he coached in the last two years is either permanently gone or has been injured for huge chunks of the season. And yes, I get that the effort has not been great, especially during that three-game losing streak. But maybe, maybe it's because these dudes, wait for it, are old as hell. 
Maybe it's not that they quit on the coach. Maybe it's just who and what they are. Old, slow, and they don't give a damn about anything that has anything to do with defense. In other words, they're rid. Old, slow, and don't give a damn about defense. Thank you. Or vegetables. But here's the real problem. <laughs> yeah, how about this? How you doing, old man? You good? Game on. You're above ground, dude. You got to be good. Any day you're above ground, Rit is a good day. Remember that. Mr. President, just shout out to Rit in the back row there. Finally. Just slamming his hot chocolate. Anyway, here's the real problem. Actually, here's what's outrageous. According to the LA Times, after last week's loss to the Kings, Vogel and Fisdale met with Rob Palenka and Kurt Rambis. Oh, and there's more. Quote, Rambis then attended the Lakers pregame coaches meeting Monday. Rambis has regularly attended coaching meetings this season and advocated for the Lakers to use more traditional strategies. End quote. Kurt Rambis is still involved? Kurt bleeping Rambis has got some level of influence on coaching. He's sitting in on meetings now. Again. Get the hell out of here with that. I understand Kurt and his wife are tight with Jeannie Buss. She is the owner. She can do what they want. But I do still remember the comedy of the horrible old days when Linda Rambis was referred to as the shadow owner of the Lakers. And everybody thought that was hilarious. But I thought those days were over. I thought that when Frank Vogel won that championship, that the Ram by had taken a step back. Apparently, I was wrong. Apparently, Kurt is attending coaching meetings and advocating for certain strategies. And if that's true, how pissed do you think Vogel must be about that? Are you kidding me? Listen, Rambis was a legend from his playing days. But have you checked out his coaching days? Has anybody forgotten about those days? He went 9-19 and in his last NBA coaching gig, and that was an improvement. He was 32 and 132 in his previous attempt. This dude is 41 and 151 as a head coach in the NBA, yet he's giving advice to somebody on coaching. A winning percentage of less than 300. Coaching three teams, and that guy's telling Frank Vogel what to do. Vogel, if I were Vogel, and Kurt Rambis, of all people, started showing up and telling me what to do. If I'm Vogel, I got to be thinking about going Kevin McHale on this guy. Just running up and clotheslining him and dropping him to the ground. I'll say it again. The Lakers have done this guy all wrong from day one. So it shouldn't be a surprise that they're looking to make him the fall guy. But if you're going to fire him, you better fire everybody who thought that that roster was a good idea. The only strategies that I would want to hear from Rambis involve goggleware. How does that guy besides even have time to attend Laker practices when he's too busy liking porn tweets? Do you remember that whole thing? You remember that? Actually, that's probably unfair of me. Not unfair of me to bring it up because that was a thing and that did happen. But unfair of me because he was, in fact, able to coach the Knicks and check porn on Twitter back in 2016. So it is possible to multitask and do two things at once. Yeah, I know. I know. That was over six years ago. Turn the page, Rome. Grudge much? 
No, I have no grudge at all. I'm just baffled by the whole thing six years later. It's baffling because, well, not porn. I mean, a lot of people I know like porn. A lot of people I know like porn. A lot of people I know like porn a lot. However, I'm not baffled by that. It's porn. However, what I am baffled by is porn on Twitter. With so many technologies and platforms available. I mean, come on, Curtis. I'd put on a trench coat and go to an adult video store before I checked out porn on Twitter. I'd go full-on trench coat in disguise. Big hat, big trench coat, glasses. Before I fake beard, before I check porn on Twitter. I mean, why? God forbid the phone were to slip out of your hand and the like or retweet button inadvertently gets hit. Uh-oh. Right? Anyway. I'd say, anyway, what's popping Twitter? <laughs> Porn, apparently. Hey, where's that anti-Rambus mob when you need them? You know, those three or four losers who chanted, no more Rambus in front of Staples. Remember no them? More Rambus, no more Rambus. the hell guys what the hell guys your team needs you nerds worse than ever your team needs you nerds to wake the hell up from your mom's basement and rage at crypto lebron that guy lebron needs you losers more than ever before you're not doing your job Hey, you want a new podcast to look forward to every single week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to The Daily Jungle, and that's totally fine. In fact, let me suggest a podcast that you should add to your list. It's The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, hostage negotiators, and more. Jordan is one of the goats when it comes to podcasting, and he has got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there right now. Point blank, this dude is smart, he's funny, he is easy to listen to. You will find actionable advice that can improve your life directly. You cannot go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. My man is plugged in. Good friend of the program, too. He is Sam Amick. What's going on, Sam? How are you? Romy, doing great, brother. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you. Appreciate it, Sam, so much. All right, so let me start here. You and Bill Oram have a piece up on The Athletic about Frank Vogel and his job status based on your reporting. Sam, how close was he to being fired after that loss to Denver on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the the intel we got was that, uh, that I think, you know, that – that the front office had to be talked out of it. You know, obviously with Rob Palenka leading the way, um, frustration extremely high. You know, you're down uh, Anthony Davis, obviously, but the Nuggets had no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. Um, just injuries of their own. You can't be trailing by 45. You can't be losing by 37. 
you can't be embarrassing the brand. And then, you know, of course it, it then gets into the discussion of, you know, okay, but does he deserve it? And I think the answer is probably no, but it's just, you and I have had these conversations before. There's only so many moves that a team can make. And, and when the emotions run high, you know, a lot of times that's just when coaches end up paying with their job. So I think it was fairly close. The jazz win was big, not just because they won, but because they played well. I know that sounds funny, but you know, you can play well and, and here you can win and not play well. You can play well and lose. They looked good. They had, they showed fight. Russ obviously had that absurd dunk over Gobert that I think, you know, from a, a mood standpoint, set the tone. So uh, it's still touch and go, I think, for Frank and, and the sense of the situation for sure. Talking to Sam Amick. So, Sam, when you look at the situation and you look at the issues that they're having right now, how much of that, in your opinion, is Vogel's responsibility? And then how much control does he really have over those issues? In other words, how much of this is a coaching problem and how much of this is a roster problem? Well, roster problem, first and foremost, and, and for all the focus, you know, understandably and justifiably on the problems of the Russell Westbrook addition, you know, I think one of the things that needs to keep getting highlighted is that the role player discussion is, is equally relevant. You know, losing Alex Caruso, prioritizing Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, a guy that is not playing all that well this season, things like that. I mean, they, the pieces, you know, you know, I think there are some rosters where if you have LeBron, AD, and Russ, with the right pieces around them, maybe maybe they are more the team that they hoped to be. So that's it's a roster thing. But then you know you can say that, but now you're in the thick of the season. Now you're fighting for a playoff spot, and the human component comes into play. And, and to me, Jim, like the number one relevant factor for Frank in terms of you know remaining the coach of the Lakers going forward is is like, like most coaches like keeping the locker room right. Like I think that was a a thing that you know the front office and ownership was looking at really closely over the course of the past week. And when LeBron's tweeting apologies to the fans and Magic Johnson is chiming in, you know, that's why the Jazz win was so huge. You, you, if you're ever going to respond, you got to respond then. And it did show that these, these players, I mean, if they wanted, if they had something against Frank and they wanted him to head for the exits, you know, all they had to do was just bag one game. And, and they obviously don't, they don't seem to want that. I think that's actually a very good point. Sam Amick is joining us. So then, Sam, back to the Russ thing. I, I will say that dunk, I mean, for all the issues with Russ, and there are a <laughs> lot of issues with Russ, that was an absolutely unbelievable dunk. For that guy over Gobert at this point in his life, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Even even for Russ, who is <laughs> one of the most it. explosive athletes, Sam, I've ever seen. In fact, just for the dunk for a minute, what were you thinking as you saw him throw that, elevate and throw that down the way he did? No, I loved it. I mean, it sounds corny, but I, I love those moments as a, a basketball reporter where you just, you know, it's okay to enjoy the game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I was like a fan, like, oh my God, like, what did he just do? We have a uh, kind of a running joke or thing in my house where my wife's not a huge basketball fan. And so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get her impressed. And so when there's a big play like that, it's like, all right, honey, what do you think? Like, did, did this move the needle for you? And, I mean, she was pretty impressed by that one. And, uh, I mean, the ferocity was obviously the thing. And Gobert being, you know, just a multiple-time defensive player of the year. And not only that, there's times when guys make business decisions, as we call them. This was not one. You know, Rudy gave it a shot. 
and just got absolutely demolished by Russ. So it was a hell of a play. It was an amazing play. Unfortunately, there have not been very many of those this year. So if you had to guess, what do you think that LeBron is thinking about the move to bring Russ to L.A.? Do you think that deep down he still thinks that can work, or do you think deep down he's having second thoughts? I don't know that. It, I mean, no one is wiring a, a fair amount. I don't think he's just going to get caught up in second thoughts. Like, we might see – an episode of the shop, you know, years down the road or next summer where maybe we eventually get honesty from LeBron where he talks about this chapter and what he thinks looking back on it. I don't, he's pretty incredible from a mental standpoint at, you know, focusing on the now and making the best of situations. Or if he, I mean, listen, if, if he, you know, wanted something to change a la, you know, David Blatt back in the day when he was, not happy with him as Cavs coach, then he kind of exerts his influence that way. With Russ, right now, I think you continue to try to make the best of a challenging situation. And the truth is, I mean, as far as culpability, you know, Rob Palenka is obviously a big part of this, but it was LeBron and AD that that sat down with Russ in LeBron's house and basically did superstar recruiting one-on-one with Russ, with Damian Lillard, with Bradley Beal, and, and, you know, kind of took that, that power that they have and they used it, and, you know, it hasn't panned out to this point. So he knows better than anybody. Like, it's on him to try to make it work. Um, you know, Russ wanted to come home. Russ wanted to have a similar chapter to LeBron in Cleveland, but the basketball stuff has obviously been just really complicated. Sam Amick joining us. It's another great point about LeBron. There's no way that happens, obviously, without LeBron's blessing. I mean, he was right front and center in recruiting, and it's not working out right now. And not only that, to your other point, Sam, that not only did they bring in a piece that doesn't fit, apparently, but they gave up a lot of key components to get that piece that doesn't fit. Let me ask you about somebody you just mentioned, Sam, Damian Lillard changing up what is your sense as to Damien's future is that future in Portland or is he eventually going to want to leave I honestly don't have a, a great feel right now he you know he gets that abdominal surgery and is shut down you know very possibly for the season so there's kind of a, a pause button having taken place in Portland um, before he got shut down I found myself being real surprised at the idea that that you know that the story hadn't broken that he wanted out you know what I mean? Like, I thought we were there. I thought it was going to happen. And he continues to choose not to do that. Now, the deadline is big. Even with him on the shelf, their GM up there, interim GM, Joe Cronin, has got to make something happen. They're in the mix. You know, Miles Turner has this injury that I think changes things with him and, and the Pacers. But they were pursuing Miles Turner. They're in the mix on Simmons. You know, they still have a chance to make the kind of trade that makes Dame want to stay. And my understanding is he is you know, waiting to see what Joe can do with the roster. So at this point, I think it's become a, you know, we'll revisit it in the summer situation and, and probably be, you know, having to have all the, the same conversations again. Sam Amick joins us for a few more moments. You mentioned Simmons. If you had to say right now, does Ben Simmons get moved before the deadline? And if so, at this point, what could Philadelphia expect in return? So I've been saying yes recently to the question of whether he get moved just because the, the, the teams involved – feel like the Sixers want to make a move. But but right as they say that, they then kind of bemoan things like, you know, like the Sixers are trying to attach Tobias Harris to trades, and, and which sends the opposite message. Like you're complicating a situation by adding, you know, darn near $80 million to the transaction. I mean, between Ben and Tobias, I think it's about 70 this season alone. So, I mean, that's just a massive number. 
Um, on the Sixers side, you know, they are telling Tobias's people that, that it's been overblown, that he's not, they're not attempting to trade him. So, you know, it's kind of, it's that time of year where uh, you got it's hard to figure out who's telling the truth here, but um, there's a big market for Ben and, and a lot of teams that are fairly desperate. And that's the, the reason I think he gets moved is because he's a game changer. Teams are confident that even with him having not played for quite some time, that he would be ready to, to roll in a couple of weeks after he got traded, if that does happen. And because of the play-in tournament, Jim, you just have way more buyers than sellers, and that puts Philly in a really advantageous spot. They have you know, a lot of leverage here to, to try to get the most uh, before the deadline. Sam Amick with us once again. Sam, one more topic really quickly. The Atlanta Hawks had an amazing playoff run last year, of course, but they have not taken that next step this year. They've already traded Cam Reddish. How active do you expect them to be before the deadline, and how much pressure is there on them to take that next step? Yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of pressure. Some of these other situations, you've got front office executives whose jobs might be on the line. In Atlanta, it's not really that. Everybody got extensions. Everybody got rewarded for their run. But you still, you know, the optics are bad. You you made it to the conference finals, and now you're you're not in the playoff picture. So um, a lot of motivation out there to make a, a deal. The John Collins situation is obviously front and center. For the last couple of years, there's been this somewhat uncomfortable dynamic between him and the team where, you know, he saw himself as a max player. They they didn't give him max money. He ultimately kind of, you know, bent a bit and signed this extension, five years, $125 million. So I think John is a guy that, you know, Philly has looked at him. Uh, I think other teams certainly are interested. But they got to do something because uh, they, they cut a lot of checks last season, you know, with the expectation that they would be able to either match or surpass what they did. And with that not happening, I think they're going to shake it up. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back and watching live sports. And it doesn't matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little action. Personally, to start the new year right, I've got my eye on the critical NFC Divisional Playoff matchup in Green Bay. That's why I recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager, from straight bets to parlays, teasers, and any exotic proposition wager that you can dream up. The app is easy to use, and everybody knows Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines, join in on the action, download the WinBet app on Google Play, or the Apple App Store today and put yourself in the game. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. This guy's been coming in. No Calvic. He writes, you mean this? Tom Brady is so old that when he won his first Super Bowl, there was only one multiple-time smack-off winner, and that was Mike DeTola with two? I didn't say that, but that's exactly the type of thing that I'm sick of. Sick of. Beauregard's Butler. Jim, the media really needs to stop making a big deal about Brady's age. Signed, Andy 
Pettit's intense stare. For the love of God, would you networks please curtail the amount of extreme close-ups on one Andrew Pettit? I watched the playoffs last year. It's like every time this guy started, the camera crew shot the game like it's some kind of David Lynch movie with the camera zoomed four inches from Pettit's nostrils. It's like 36 times in a seven-inning span you hear the announcer remark on the intense stare of Andy. Andy in his zone of concentration. Andy with the eyes of a competitor. No, no, no. Let me help the, the, help the novice baseball fan that only tunes in for the playoffs, okay? Andy Pettit pitches with his mouth agape, and he has the eyes of a goat, okay? I, I give him credit. He's a mean lefty. He's got a wicked sinker. But just because he glares at Posada like he's trying to burn a hole through Jorge's eyebrows with his mind doesn't necessarily mean he's any more focused than the other eight A-holes wearing pinstripes on the field. Like, if that call were made today... That would be one of the better calls you could ever hear on this show or any other show. But that call was not made today. That call was made back in the day when Andrew Pettit had his mouth agape and the eyes of a goat and was trying to burn a hole through Jorge's eyebrows. That phone call, this blows my mind. That phone call was made 20 years ago on this show. What's more incredible? I've done it this long or that that phone call, a quality call like that was made 20 years ago, and it holds up. There are calls made 20 days ago that would never be as good as that phone call made 20 years ago. A legendary call, and it's so true. Do you remember that back then? Back then, whenever Andy Pettit took the mound, that's all we ever heard. Look, look at Andy. Look at the stare. Look at the intense glare. The only thing more annoying than that was that whole rap about the only reason he loaded up on PEDs was because he so badly wanted to come back as quickly as he could to rejoin the fight with his teammates. And people actually bought that bull crap too. Like, like why, why were other people doing it and they were the worst guys ever in cheaters, but he did it, but was a great guy because it was so selfless and altruistic that he just wanted to rejoin the fight. Right. That's why they all did it, because it enabled them to come back quicker. That was like one of the worst narratives ever, that this guy was somehow deified as somebody who was so altruistic. He just wants to come back. He just wants to rejoin the fight with his teammates. Yeah, but what about the other guys doing it? Oh, cheaters. Cheaters. Selfish cheaters. Stat mongers. Liars. Criminals. Oh, not Andrew. Oh, no, Andrew just wants to rejoin the fight. In fact, this guy should be MVP for his commitment. Garbage. Garbage. And it's true. You couldn't watch a game. And, and he was right. Jim and Fall River was right. He was a mean lefty. He was competitive. But you couldn't watch a single game. A single game without somebody saying, without some talking head saying, oh, look at the intense glare. Romy's my homie. Abigail's in. Quote, porn is amazing. Sign Pervin. Well, I thought she was going to say porn is amazing. Nope. Sign Pervin. It is hump day. It is hump day. Hump day. All right, so back to this point that we're getting into. Let me just start the thought on this anyway. It is Wednesday, and the Rams and the Bucks are going to play on Sunday. So let me just address this during this hump day. Right here, right now. It's got to stop. This trend in the sports media, the trend is trying to find, trying, no trying, trying to find new and different ways to say that Tom Brady is old. Let me give an example and the latest offender. 
this tweet from the Sports Center account. Quote, Tom Brady is older than every opposing NFC head coach still in the playoffs. End of tweet. Yeah, and, and, I'm not rushing in to bury ESPN or SportsCenter. They're just part of this incredibly stupid trend. We get it. Tom Brady is old. Very, very old. He's been very, very old for a very long time. And yet people are still thumbing out this garbage like it's some sort of new information. Like it's fresh. Like it sets them apart somehow. Like it's a hot reactionary take. He's older than the coaches left in the NFC. And what the hell is the piece of information there that's new? And what does that tell us? He's older than the other three remaining NFC head coaches who aren't Bruce Arians. The guy who is older than him. And it's framed as an SC fact. And it is technically a fact. It's just not new or interesting. And it sure as hell doesn't warrant a caption that reads, Now this is remarkable with the shocked and scared emoji. All right? It's not remarkable. It's not shocking. It's not scary. There's not, there is no new way that you can present Tom Brady's age to me that's going to make me say, oh, damn, this guy's really old, and I didn't even know it. Because I know he's old, and I've known for years that he's old. And that hasn't changed. Jerome Bettis is from Detroit. Cannot believe how lame these fat facts are. Brady Quinn and A.J. Hawk think this whole genre is tired. Tom Brady is old. Yet water is wet. Rit is bald. I mean, tell me something I don't know. Does any of this need to be tweeted out? He was the oldest player in the league this year. He will be the oldest player in the league next year. He's really old. We get it. Everybody knows he's old. He's old as hell. The only thing older than Brady is people telling me that he's really old and still really good. Yeah, I get it. He's a very old man who's still very good at football. We all know. Anybody who's ever watched a football game already knows. So why do people keep trying to reinvent the wheel on this, especially when Brady is old enough to have been there for the actual invention of the wheel? hey Old man invented fire. I get it. He's not just the oldest person in football. He's the oldest damn dude on the planet. And he's still playing football, and it's still working out pretty well for him and the Bucs, man. Tell me something I don't already know. Stop telling me Brady is as old as bleep. That take is as old as bleep and annoying as bleep. I'll tell you what. I will pay for and rock his old man recovery pajamas on camera on this show. I will commit to that diet of crap that he eats with no cheat days. If you can promise me that we can go between now and this weekend's game without somebody trying to come up with some new fresh new way to tell me that TB44 is older than dirt, I will. I'll buy those pajamas. I'll wear them on air. I will. Because I know I won't have to. Because there's some idiot who's got their face in their lapper working up some lame graphic to remind us of just how old this dude really is if we didn't already know. For the love of God, 
networks. For the love of God. Stop telling us. There's got to be other matchups within the matchup. Other things about that game that you can tell me other than, oh, this is shocking. This just in. Tom Brady is older than every other coach in the NFC except for one. God. Right. He's TB44. He's old. Do better. Try harder. Do better. Try harder. Tell me something I don't already know. No Cal Vic. Unfortunately, no Cal Vic is on a heater, and that's not a good thing. You know what I mean? He writes, you'll like this one. Tom Brady is so old. I do like this. I like when I get reaction to a take before I'm done with a take, so I'll give you that. All right, Vic. I'll bite. I'll bite. I'll slice. You'll like this one. Tom Brady is so old. When he was in high school, Ron and Nicole still had heads. Yeah, Vic. Ron and Nicole were physically You know what's dead. not old, Vic? Like they killed me. My thoughts on that. They're like four minutes old. <sighs> like, I don't know why. I, I always read this guy's stuff because he's from New York City. I've got kind of a bias. I'll admit it. All right. I try so hard to be objective. But I've got a certain bias to certain people from New York City where I'll read their stuff. And Jake is one of those guys. What do you got, Jake? Dear Jim, Tom Brady's first NFL game was the same week that Ritt collected his first Social Security check. See, that's what I mean, Jake. Like, for some reason, I like you, but not all your stuff. Oh, crapola. And I've never met you, Jake. I've never talked to you, but for some reason, I like you. I think it's New York City. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Anthony Ferkser is my guest. Anthony, great to have you on the show. How are you? Great. How's it going? Good, good. Listen, because you guys have the best record in the AFC, obviously you get a bye, which comes along with that, while everybody else is grinding it out and running into each other. I'm kind of curious, how beautiful is it to rest, recover, and try to get right mentally and physically after a really demanding, challenging regular season? Yeah, I think it definitely helps our team. I mean, yeah, especially after the extra game that's been added this season, um, just getting guys healthy, getting guys recovered, and then improving on areas that we can take a step back and not worry about the week ahead and just take that time to recover, improve, and get ready for that next uh, following week. Yeah, you earned that week, and i got to imagine that week is great. So I mentioned off the very top, you scored touchdowns in back-to-back games. After dealing with a knee injury at the start of the year, do you feel like you're personally hitting your stride right now at just the right time? Yeah, definitely. It's been good to get a little bit more involved in the offense. And, yeah, after the injury early on, just kind of took a little slow start. But, um, but yeah, just trying to fit in the role I can and find out where I can help this team. All right, so what about that? When you talk about getting a little bit more involved in the offense, after the win over Houston, for instance, Ryan Tannehill was praising you and talking about the impact you've had over the past few games, especially over the middle. So at this point of the year, how would you describe the chemistry between you and Tannehill and what has been the biggest difference late in the year between you guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a multitude of things. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely worried about AJ um, Julio coming back out there. He's a threat, so I mean, there's a lot of defenses keying on them, and um, yeah, so just being able to protect our offensive line is doing a great job protecting and holding up and giving Ryan more time to just find guys who are open and find guys down the field to convert third downs and keep the chains moving. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been just how it's been going recently. Anthony Ferkser is my guest. Now, you were one of the team's top-performing players in the offseason, which meant that you got rewarded with a parking space right next to Mike Vrabel's space. I'm curious. That's interesting, right? Like, that's an honor, and that's a good thing. But every day when the man pulls in, he's going to know whether or not you're there. So how did you approach that? Did you feel like you had to beat him to the facility? Yeah, I mean, it's a little stressful knowing he knows exactly when I'm at the facility and when I'm gone. But, yeah, I mean, I try to keep to my routine and what's been working since I've been in Tennessee. So, yeah, just trying to show up as early as I can and recover and do what I can after after the day's done. All right, so Vrabel's never had a losing record as a head coach, and he leads the team to the playoffs for a third straight year, and you guys get the top seed. What is it that makes him maybe different, or what makes him such a good coach? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, the biggest thing is he expects a lot of the players and demands a lot out of us. And um, he does a great job of getting the best out of everyone and everyone finding that role and finding where it is that they can help the team and embracing that. And yeah, his expectations are just super high of every player. And I think he's able to get the most out of everyone on the field. Anthony Furster is my guest, Tennessee and Cincinnati coming up this weekend. You know, coming into the year, you were getting a lot of love from current and former teammates. Kevin Byard said that he's gone against Delaney Walker, Jonu Smith, and he would put you right up there with them. It's really high praise. In fact, what's it mean to hear that praise? Yeah, that's that's really yeah positive to hear that from him. I mean, he's been around the league a while, top safety to do it, and he's gone a lot, gone gone against a lot of guys. So saying that I'm comparable to some of those top guys that he's played against or been in our organization is definitely an honor, and I'm thankful for that. I'm going to editorialize. I love Byard. I love the guy as a guy. I love the guy as a player. I think that's really high praise coming from him. Now, you played your college ball at Harvard. For those who do not know, who was in that tight end room at Harvard when you arrived, and then what did you learn from them? Yeah, when I arrived, it was Cam Braid, uh, Ben Broniker, Tyler Ott, who's a long snapper, um, I got there right after Juice Tech left, but, I mean, he was on the film all the time, and we got to watch him and learn from him off the film. But, I mean, yeah, just a lot of guys who have had good careers in the NFL and have set great examples of expectations and standards. You know, maybe, I, I don't know, you tell me, maybe you get tired of answering the question, but I don't get tired of asking. In fact, I'm fascinated by that. Harvard's not exactly a football factory, but there are a lot of former Harvard tight ends in the NFL. How do you explain that? What is that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the head coach, um, Coach Murphy. Um, he does a great job recruiting tight ends. It's kind of his position. He's the position coach as well as the head coach. And he likes finding guys who are versatile, that are able to catch the ball, able to be physical and block guys and have a toughness factor. And, yeah, I think he's done a great job of finding those guys and grooming them and having that room as set such high standards and just keep building that year after year. All right, so this has not been an easy thing, right? It's been a journey. Like in your first year out of college, you had some time with the Jets and with Kansas City. In fact, what was that first season in the NFL like? What did you learn from that time? Yeah, the first season was tough. I mean, I came out as a fullback, which is not necessarily my strong suit. I did a lot of receiving stuff at Harvard and in high school even. Um, so, yeah, I struggled a little bit in that fullback position. And after got released, being released from the Jets after preseason, I got signed with the Chiefs and was able to be in their tight end room. Um, be around Travis Kelsey was definitely helpful, just hearing him, his mind talk about the game and being in the same room as him definitely gave me some pointers. And 
um, helping me at that next step. And yeah, once I got an opportunity to be with the Titans, they um, gave me some re- receiving opportunities. Um, I got to learn from Delaney Walker and just kept trying to take advantage of the opportunities I was given here. I mean, one thing about Kelsey, obviously he's going to see the game a certain way and he's going to have some valuable information, but it's one thing to hear the valuable information, but, I mean, can anybody really do what that guy can do regardless of what information he gives you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to, yeah, tailor it to my skill set, and, yeah, it's definitely different from his, just being his um, stature, his height, and um, quickness, and change of direction stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I got to just hear, yeah, how he viewed the game, see him in film, and, um, just use that to just kind of tailor it to my game and my play style. You know, Anthony, you talk about skill set. I'm not going to say this is like the sexiest part of your game or anybody's game, but Mike Vrabel loves it. He was talking about after the Texans game that he was more focused on your blocking and that it's an area that you've worked on. I'm curious, when it comes to blocking, how much of it is technique and how much of it is just brute force in wanting to kick the guy's ass who is standing in front of you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a combination. I mean, yeah, we're, we're working on the technique yeah week after week um but yeah i mean a lot of it is mentality and just having that mindset that yeah you're gonna hit the guy harder than he's hitting you and you're gonna help your team and i'm gonna help the o-linemen not have to worry about one of these top edge rushers coming at them full speed so i'm making sure i'm stopping their rush making them restart and that's been helpful for the o-linemen helpful for ryan to keep us uh moving the chains all right so a couple of things before you go and i appreciate the conversation you've got the best record in the afc despite the fact that derrick henry has missed a chunk of games and he's not the only one and you have the number one seed but despite that fact it seems like there's a lot of attention on buffalo and on kansas city what do you make of that are you going to go with the standard we don't get caught up in that or do you see that and are people sleeping on the titans yeah i mean yeah we're not worried about yeah the following week, I mean, we gotta. It's one. We gotta win this game to advance. So we're dialed in in Bengals and how well they've been doing on offense and on defense and getting turnovers. So we're focused on what we need to do this week and get that W. So Derek Henry was cleared to practice in pads. Did you get a good look? How did he look to you? Yeah, it was good. Good to see him out there. Good to see him moving around. I mean, yeah, you know the threat he gives defenses when he's out there. So we're excited to hopefully have him back on the field and whatever he can give us. Last thought, in your mind, what is the biggest key going into Saturday's game? Um, I think we just got to take care of the ball. I mean, we've seen how um, when we've had turnovers and gave our defense bad field position, it's been um, we've ended up with losses. So I think if we take care of the ball and um, give our defenses long fields, um, yeah. I get it. I get it. Four receptions and a TD in the regular season finale. Seven receptions, two TDs in the last two games. And a great matchup at Tennessee. Bengals at Titans Saturday. Anthony Ferkser, my guest. Anthony, appreciate it so much. Good luck this weekend. Great talking to you. All right. Thank you so much. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? It's time to beef. All right, so I know I've run this down a number of times very quickly. The rules of engagement, there are none. Just beef. Anything is fair game. I don't care what's aggravating you. I'm here for it. Not only do I not care, I want to know. 
It does not have to be a sports-related beef. That's the beauty of the segment. We do it every single Wednesday. And, hey, Chalk, am I wrong? Do we not run it back on Twitter often? So not only, not only can you get on the air with it, I'm going to run this thing back on Twitter with the best of the best. So make sure you have good beef. 1-800-636-8686. Or just go to social with it. Jim, my beef is smokers. I mean, you can stop right there. Great beef. You win. Segment's over. That's it, Rome. I've had your back for 25 years. That crack back on me for smoking. Good, go. Good, go. I know because I did smoke for a while when I was in college. It's disgusting. Hey, Jim, my beef is smokers who pull up to a gas pump and won't put out their lung dart before pumping their gas. Really? You didn't know you were going to get gas when you lit that thing. You can't go five minutes without sucking smoke. Then after you stare them down, they just throw it to the ground. Classy. BZ and Pensacola. Oh, they know. They know. They don't give a damn. They don't give a damn that they literally could blow up the entire block. They don't care. Obviously. Nunzio, my beef is with Mike McCarthy's eye rolls. Every time his undisciplined team was called for a penalty, McFaddy rolled his eyes back in his head like he was told there's no more sweet and sour chicken left at the all-you-can-eat buffet. War Hail Marys. Well said. At Romy, you rock. Writes, my beef is with Knitten or Mitten Nation. Mittens is the name of your child. Cat. Not a reason to go. I still have not heard back from David August on what we're doing for handwear. Mittens or gloves. Dear Jim, my beef is with goal line officiating. It's 2022. You mean to tell me there isn't technology to beep and blink flashing red lights when the ball crosses the plane? Instead, you get views that show a bunch of fat bodies and no ball? And you can't tell if the runner's knee was down and the refs are waiting to unpile those bodies and they're guessing. Hey, Raj, I think this is more important than harmless taunting penalties being called. Mike and Madison, good point. Very good point. Much like the point I always make about first down measurements. You're going to tell me that a couple of old dudes with popsicle sticks and chain links are going to determine whether or not there's a first down on a spot based on what? running those things across the field, and then pulling on them. So if you want to fix something, fix that too. Rome, I've got beef with my girlfriend. When we go to a restaurant and she orders a salad for her entree, but as soon as my delicious burger and fries come, she immediately starts digging in and grabbing at my fries. Hey, babe, you just had the same menu in your hands. If you wanted some fries, order them. Aaron in Iowa. Aaron, that is a beef as old as, well, Tom Brady. A beef as old as time itself, which is the same thing as as old as TB44. Rome Slice. My beef is being 42 years old, going back to college, and having to do a group project with five zit-faced, right-out-of-high-school punks who don't care if we get an A or an F. I feel like Frank in L.A. Give me a team I can work with. Dan in rainy and cold Portland, Oregon. Dude, like, I kind of sympathize, but not really. 
Oh, oh, no way. You're more mature and motivated and responsible than a zit-faced 18-year-old who's coming out of high school during COVID. No way. I hear you, though. Jim, my beef is with MLB, players and owners. Get off your ass and start talking and work something out before you wreck spring training again. But no, these mutts will wait for the first day of spring training before they even agree on where to start talking. Do better. Steven, the 904. What are you talking about? Wait, what? Is there something going on with baseball? Are they not talking? Is there an issue? I, I didn't know. I, I didn't even know. Nobody does. I'm not even sure anybody really cares at this point. That's the problem with baseball. Hey, Jim, my beef, <laughs> my beef is with the same ad that pops up every 10 minutes when I'm watching porn. I don't care that there's hot women 15 minutes away that want to meet me. I don't want a divorce. I just want to watch my porn in peace. Brian in Detroit. Although I should not reward behavior like that. You are the front runner, Brian. Rome, as a Niners fan, I have a reverse beef or an unbeef with Sergeant Schultz or Mike McCarthy. Mike and Snowbird, that's clever. He's like, I, I have no beef. Keep doing you, Mikey. Dave Hahn, 39. Yo, Rome Slice. My beef is with people telling me to cut my hair. I've had my long, luscious hair for six years. I ain't getting rid of it. Yo, come on, bro. Cut that. Nah, I mean, I don't care. Do what you want. Hey, Jim. My beef is with passive, aggressive homeowners association guy. I did notice that my front yard needs work. Did you notice that I just moved in two weeks ago? Grass doesn't turn from dead and brown to lush and green overnight D-bag. So stop leaving your stupid post-it notes on my truck and my front door every other day. Or better yet, knock on my door and say that crap to my face. Looks like there's going to be an issue in La Quinta. Mike and La Quinta. Hey, Mikey, I used to have a house in La Quinta. Where are you at? I'm curious. There are uh, the beauty of the desert. There are a million developments down there. But La Quinta is one of my favorite spots. Unless you've got somebody that you're beefing with already two weeks in. Like this guy's probably like, man, this is so great. Got a new house. Got a new neighborhood. I love it. Oh, homeowners association guy already up in my bleep. Two weeks in. Hey, Mike, that's going to go badly. I can tell already. Y'all have gotten off on the wrong foot. My beef is with friends that live in states that haven't legalized sports betting and want me to be their bookie because my state has. You don't have to get down on every game on TV. War, legal, sports betting in all 50. Bill, it's coming. It's coming, but I feel you. That is frustrating. I live in California. It is frustrating. Hey, Bill, can you uh, hit the Packers minus six for me? Just kidding. Snags. My beef is with golf guy from last week who had a problem with guys playing in jeans. We all know he's the type of slap 
who shows up looking like Tiger on Sunday and has not broken 100 with $5,000 sticks. You dweeb. Thanks, Taylor and Indy. I hear you. Rome. My beef is with Derek Carr. Not throwing the damn ball in the end zone. And not two yards short and acting shocked when the score didn't change. Don't you know? No end zone, no points. Rob in the Union City. I like that. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is with any website you're on and a chat bubble opens immediately asking if you need help. No, I don't need help. Yes, I know where the search bar is if I do need help. Annoying AF. Bella B. Resides in Calgary. They're all buttholes. Am I right, Bella? They're all buttholes. At Solid Gold 80s, my beef is with Jim Rome saying Twitter porn a dozen times in two minutes. Now I have to change the station because I have a lady in the car. Now I miss the rest of the intro. Thanks, Jim. What, your lady can't hear the word porn? What if we have a take on the Bears and we talk about Coach Pennis? Sorry about that, brah. Twitter porn, Twitter porn. Let's see, Chip. Rome, my beef is with my dog. While grilling, the pooch found the grill cover, squatted, and peed on it while looking at me as if he were saying, How's that grab you, butthole? Yeah, I got a cat that does things like that. I got a cat that like gets into the Thai food. I'm like, Cody! Cody, come on, Cody. And then Cody goes and just diarrheas up our nicest rug and looks at me like, well, what'd you expect? Don't leave out the chicken saute if you don't want me to have cat diarrhea on your rug. Yeah, okay, Cody. Whatever you say, brah. Kennethy in the 503. I got beef with anyone who is too good to go to strip clubs during the daytime. I'm off at 3.30 p.m. in Portland I pass $15 stores on my four-mile commute home. We have the beef. Curtains. What's it got to do? It goes back to somebody else cracking on somebody for going to strip clubs during the day. I don't even know what to do with that. Like, I don't care. Go when you go. Go when you go. Just don't sit at Miss Pac-Man, get the high score, and put my name on it like that one a-hole in Detroit does. Dave the Rocket Guy. My beef is with Garrett Ritt. I'm watching your show on CBS. Stop air drumming or whatever it is you're doing in the back row, old man, after a break. You're making yourself look like an even bigger dork than you already are. (laughs) I was going to say, what do you have to say for yourself, you big old dork? But thank you. Another one. Snags. My beef is with Rit and his lack of rhythm when the the entrance music is bumping. 
I see him back there and can only think you should paint him in a full blue body paint to make him an honorary member of Blue Man Group. After all, he is a sideshow freak. War Eagle, Clubber and HB. Looks like I would take that gig right now. I know you would, old man, but nobody's offering it to you. I know you would. Real would be like the fourth blue man. Let's just paint you like green. James Kelly's all over that. He's like, winner, winner. Kelly's always got it in for one of the other XR4TIers not named him, and it's pretty much writ. Depending on what the era is. Hey, Rome. I've got beef with my wife bringing our kids to our Friday night couples bowling league. Nothing is more distracting and tiresome than chasing the kids around a bowling alley. What's worse is the teams that we bowl against think that we are kooks because we are constantly holding the game up, dealing with our kids. It's an adult league, hun. Leave the kids at home. Johnny and GB. But we're not even going to have time to get the phone calls, right? Jim Master. My beef is with Nickelodeon trying to bait me into watching a football game with the grandkids. I don't invite children to watch sports. If I want to see animation during football, I will pop in a tape of Super Bowl 50 and watch Superman or Cam Newton meet his kryptonite, a.k.a. Von Miller. Ron in Colorado. Sort of, sort of clever, not really. Uh-oh, Ryan in Sacktown. JR, my beef is with people who don't throw away their used Keurig pods after brewing a cup of Joe or Swiss Miss. Actually, you know what I do sometimes? I fish them out of the can and put them back in just to mess with the guys. No, I don't. But I've thought about it, though. I think that's hilarious. That goes right up there with back in the day, emptying the little airport bottles of vodka in the hotel room to make a drink, then filling them back up with water and putting them back in the refrigerator. So not only does the next person get totally, totally screwed, but they have to pay for it too. Yeah, I know. There's technology now to prevent that sort of thing, but it was funny back in the day to me until somebody did it to me once and then it was not as funny. Jimmy. My beef is with the Club Pro that I always get stuck with when I try to hit a round of 18 by myself. No, I don't want to step closer to the ball. No, I don't want to loosen my grip. No, I don't want to try your driver. All I want to do is enjoy a few pops on the course and maybe have a few darts that I forgot that I have in my bag. Jake from Omaha. Chicken man, Mick Chicken man. My beef is with the person behind the hotel counter, and when you walk up, they say... Checking in? No, I'm just standing here with all my luggage. What do you think, Ace? Jimmy, my beef is with my neighbors walking their dogs and waving at me while the little dirtbag's dog pees on my mailbox. Do I need to set up an electric shock wire for them? Sammy in H-Town. Jim, my beef. Is with department store underwear mannequins. Can I run back that first line? My beef is with department store underwear mannequins. Would it be too much to ask to have a couple of mannequins with a beer belly and a small cod piece? I'm at a point 
where I'm tired of mannequins making me feel inferior in front of my wife while shopping for new drawers. Jim and Temecula. All right, I'm just extending this segment. Let's go to the phones. That was an all-timer for social media beef. Let's try Boise. Ty. Good to have you, Ty. What's your beef? Well, my beef is with the chain-smoking delivery drivers that deliver your food. If I wanted my food to smell and taste like cigarettes, I'd go to my uncle's house and have him dump a big ashtray right in my Panera bread bowl. War are you bagging on Rick because it's hilarious. All right, Ty. What is your beef? That's his. Let's go this time to Iowa. Dickie. Dickie, what's your beef? Romy, my beef is with my wife. Every time she's driving and takes her eyes off the road for more than two seconds, she drifts into oncoming traffic. Never mind that our vehicle's windshield is larger than James Kelly's forehead or that her peripheral awareness is worse than Kathleen and Omaha's taste in music. No, nah, it's the heated game of not it between me and the kids every year when she asks, who wants to go look at Christmas lights with mommy? Uh-oh, she's staring at me, Romy. I better go. Look out, honey. <laughs> little production value in there, too. I like it. Speaking of which, she is always a topic on this segment, right? Let's go to Omaha, Nebraska. Kathleen in Omaha. Hello, Kathleen. What is your beef? Ryan Fitzpatrick is a repulsive bearded goat who has no business going without his, his shirt. He's a Johannes. Oh, oh, damn it! So, Kathleen, you missed last week, and then you show up, and that happens. This is why all the guys are going at you all the time. Not just for your takes, but that implosion. The Arizona Cardinals can't believe how badly that went for you on the big stage. Oh, Kathleen. Well, here's the positive, Kathleen. We are near the end of the segment. Here's the other positive, Kathleen. Because it's such a long, fat segment, there will not be much time for them to carve you next segment. But they're coming for you. They're coming for you. That was a great meltdown. Oh, damn it. She got to she bagged on a guy who was shirtless and couldn't wait to start hyping the guy that she wanted to see shirtless, and then it got away from her. All right, back at it. What is your beef? Let's try Matt in Alaska. Hey, Matt, what's your beef? Hey, Romy, what's going on? I got a beef with the kook who called in and said he's worried about his wife at the bowling alley making him look like a kook. You've already accomplished that, man. You're in an adult bowling league, and it's about time Katie flamed out. I'm out, Rome. There you go. Matt in Alaska. Alaska rules. That guy just got me to do something that you don't do during the COVID era. I just touched my face. That was funny. You're already a kook by being in a bowling alley. War Katie. Katie flaming out. He's talking about Kathleen. 1-800- 636-8686. Let's get this thing going. Another phone call or two. Let's go to Texas. Ed in Texas. What's your beef, Ed? Hey, Jimmers. Yeah, my beef is that nightmare-inducing plastic face carcature on the sidelines at the Cowboys game. No, I'm not talking about Jarrah. I'm talking about Rowdy, that Cowboys mascot. Dude, she looks like he'd be driving an ice cream truck, not leading America's team. It's time to hit the trail, Rowdy. War El Pollo Hombre. Oh, man. That was so good, Ed. That was smooth. 
That dude was really, really smooth from start to finish. Smooth, confident. That guy was like the Joe Burrow of What's My Beefers. War El Pollo Hombre. Pacock! John Hines is my guest. John, nice to have you on. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you, John. Thanks so much. You did drop a tough one to Vancouver last night, so let me ask you this. 41 games into the season, how would you describe where the team is at at this point? Well, I think we're in a good spot. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about with our team is is having a real strong team identity and, and, and a structure in how we want to play. And I think, uh, you know, our, our our foundation of our game is really in place. We have a clear identity. Uh, we know how we want to play. We know what gives us the best chance to be able to be a real competitive team and win games. And, you know, I think that's really important as you go through a long 82-game schedule. There's going to be some ups and downs. But I think your your culture and your identity are, are, are two things that you want to have from training camp into the beginning of the season, and we clearly have that. Uh, and I think that's probably been the, the – the biggest advantage of us getting off to a good start here halfway through the season. All right, so that makes sense to me. Let me ask you this. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. When you talk about culture and identity, it seems like from the outside looking in, the culture and identity, at least in part of this team, is mental toughness. Is that, in fact, the case? And how would you describe this team in terms of the mental toughness it has right now? Well, it is. It's, it's one of the things we've talked about with our team is, you know, I think you know we have a couple foundations. One is our, One is our competitive spirit that I think when you look at you know, high level of sports, particularly in the National Hockey League, they, you know, the competitive nature of your team. We we tried to get real competitive guys in our natural competitors on our team, and I think that's important because if you have that, the work ethic, the compete, the consistency with that, it gives you a chance every night to be a hard team to play against, and it gives you a chance to win uh, most nights. And I think you know the other part is we we talk a lot about toughness, mental and physical. You know, there's 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 two components of it. I think one is the the physical component, the hard physical confrontations, um, being able to play in hard environments, and then the other part is the is the mental part of it is um, you know understanding that the importance of the preparation, you know, in the NHL playing 82 games, a lot of times you're playing back to back, maybe versus a rested team, or you're playing three games in four nights. So the ability to be at your best, say when you're not at your best physically, how do you mentally get through that? Uh, how do you be? How 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 can you do? You have good discipline of details when maybe you're not, you know, feeling 100% in your game and you're going through the grind of the season. And I think probably most importantly is game to game and in game is, you know, understanding that you there are times where you have to be able to come from behind. There's going to be momentum swings in games, but really staying with it as a group and understanding uh, that toughness is king, mental and physical. And I think when you have that those two components, the rest of your skill sets can can, can come out and your talent is able to come out through that. I actually love that response. There's so much in that that is so good to me. John Hines joining us. I love the response that toughness is king, mental toughness, physical toughness. And I love this notion also when it comes up quite a bit, John, that, you know, when you're motivated, you'll do good work, but the motivation is not always there. You have to do some of your best work when you feel worst. Something else that I thought was really interesting during the shutdown itself, you were having coffee with your players on the back porch, trying to get to know them, trying to connect with them. But I thought you made a really interesting point with the athletic recently that it's one thing to have these conversations but unless you're going through the highs and the lows that come with going through a season and dealing with that adversity you can't really develop these really high level relationships right like how did you approach that and how effective was it to have coffee and talk to the guys without going through the highs and lows 
Yeah, Jim, I agree. It's it's, it's a real interesting uh, experience I went through going through it. You know, I, I am a big believer, though, that trust is built and the relationships are built in the fire. When you're, you're, you have the highs and lows, you know, you're happy with players, they're happy with you. Now all of a sudden you're not happy with what's going on. Your team's not playing the way it needs to play. Uh, or, say, individuals are, ha- are, are playing really well. You know, you, can, you have those reinforcements of trying to get them to continue to play well and stay hungry. And, and then there's other times where some of your guys are, you know, they're going through a little bit of a lull or their details or their intensity of effort has slipped. And those are harder conversations um, to be able to go through. But I think that, you know, the first part was trying to use the, trying to use the break, you know, in a situation where you can have more, more casual conversations, more of those, you know, get to know them a little bit more as people, see what their, you know, their background is, their family, you know, in a non in a non-competitive environment where that is one part of the relationship building part of it is just getting to know them and also having them over to your house and, and seeing, seeing you as the coach outside of the rink, outside of the games, outside of that coaching persona that you have, you usually when you're all at work together. Um, so I think that was a real benefit that I, I, I think I'd like to be able to continue to do, but it was trying to use the, the break stoppage uh, to be able to communicate and stay connected with the guys. And then the other part is, you know, we're going through it right now. I mean, we've, you know, we've had a, uh, a a very good first half of the season. We've won a lot of games in a row. We've had a lot of things go well for us. And, and now, you know, we've lost four games in a row and, and some of the details in our game have slipped and how, you know, how are we going to be able to work through this and get out of it? And now we've had a lot of good times this season, but now we're going through the part where there is that little bit of adversity and have some honest conversations and some meetings that, you know, they're not all positive in the sense of, Hey, here's what we want. A lot of it might be now. Hey, these are things we need we need to improve upon, and we got to have a man's conversation. And you know that to me is where you really can become, I think, connected and trust and handle things the right way. And that's really where it's forged. Wow, John Hines joining us. Let me ask you really quickly. So, like, as the leader, the guy's front and center, and you have to have those kind of man conversations, those hard conversations about the slippage in the attention to detail or some complacency. Like, John, let's be real. Like, do you as the leader ever have any of those similar issues? And if so, does somebody have a hard conversation with you, or do you just have a hard conversation with yourself and recalibrate? That's a good, it's a good question. You know, the answer is yes. I think, I think that's all human nature, right? Where, right. where you're, you're, uh, if, if things are going well, sometimes there are times where you kind of let it ride a little bit because things are really in place. So, you know, you don't have to be on it all the time. And, and it's a little bit of things are on the, the train's on the tracks and it's going the right way. You just kind of just tweak it a little bit. Then there are times I think as a coach, yeah, you have to, you have to look at yourself or whether it's yourself or your assistant coaches, uh, the strength coach, whoever it is, I think part of leadership as a head coach is you have to be on top of everything all the time. And, you know, if you start to slip, it's either you, you know it, you know it if you're a highly motivated person that wants wants to succeed. Same thing with the players. But I think we all do. I, you know, there might be times where I have to have a discussion with the general manager. He's not happy with, with certain things or, you know, whether it's maybe it's my communication with him at times where he needs more. So I think we all need it. We all need to be coached. We all need to to understand you can only get better, you know, if you're willing to be coached or you're willing to have some hard conversations, whether you're giving them or they're given to you. That's part of growth and getting better. But I think, you know, you, you try to do when you're when you're coaching at this level, you know, every day you wake up. You know, what I've learned is that, you know, there there are really no days off. <laughs> 
you know, I think there may be no practice or no meetings, but you've got to be, you've got to be on every day and you've got to manage your energy and manage your mindset the right way to give yourself the best chance to maintain success. All right. So we're short on time, but I am really curious about that. How do you manage your energy if you're on every single day? What's a good tactic for well, that? Bit, yeah. The, I, you know, I think really quick, you know, I think it's important that you can delegate and communicate with your staff that, that, that you're not overloading yourself with, with some of the, some of the minutia of, of certain things you have to have a good staff and delegate to your staff i think it's really important too also as a coach that you know you are you have to stay fit i think exercise is a big key you have to make sure that you get you're able to get your rest and i think your diet and nutrition i think all those components are really important to help you maintain the energy and the stamina that you need day in and day out let me guess hydration Hydration is a big one, you know. Water, water, and maybe maybe a glass of wine every night, but but good. Uh, you know, that's only that's only with dinner, right? You got to enjoy something. I get that. Listen, John, I wish. First of all, I'm thrilled with that conversation. I wish we had even more time. Tell me we can do this again because I've got about 30 follow up questions to all of that that I want to hit you with. But I appreciate the time we just had. Thank you so much, and let's be sure to do that again. All right, thank you. I'd love to. Good night now.